Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We'll rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watch Suburban Commando. In Suburban Commando, Hulk Hogan plays an intergalactic vigilante hero named Shep Ramsey. Ramsey has just defeated an evil warlord and has some bounty hunters hot on his trail. In order to lay low and recharge his damaged spaceship, he finds himself on Earth and does the best he can to fit in with these weird humans. Screenplay by Frank A. Capello, directed by Burt Kennedy, and released on October 4th, 1991. Have you seen Suburban Commando before? Uh, yeah, I have. <laughs> you sound so enthusiastic about it, too. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I... It's like, yeah, uh, I have. I have, but, you know, this is like another movie that got mixed up in my mind with, like, Mr. Nanny. Yeah. Like, those two movies, this movie and that are similar. Yeah, probably. I don't know if I actually ever did watch Mr. Nanny. I, but I had the same thought as you. It's like, I either saw that one or I saw this one. And I'm pretty sure I've seen this one before. Okay. I mean, I've seen the commercials for Mr. Nanny with him, like, going around the tutu and everything. Yeah. Um. But this one, I mean, I thought the kids were a lot more involved in this movie. So I think that's probably what threw me off. It's like, the kids... They're barely in they, it. Yeah, they exist, but just to show that there's kids. I don't know. Like They, yeah. they don't factor into the plot at all. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to say that I saw this one back when it first reached video. Just kind of weird, because we were not a wrestling family at all. I think you have more of a wrestling... Uh, I mean, not until later. My, like, one, my brother got into wrestling and then I sort of did but that was like in the later 90s early 2000s so I was not it was after this era yeah (laughs) yeah my cousin was into into wrestling um but he didn't live in the same state as us so but I mean like when we went to his house whatever we would play with like the action figures and stuff so I was aware of the wrestlers I was aware of like Andre the Giant and Junkyard Dog and those types of people yeah I mean I I know these people and I know that the Undertaker is in this Yes, but the uh, before he became the Undertaker, uh, which is interesting. Um, so yeah, one of the bounty hunters. We might as well just get in that real quickly here. So Hulk Hogan is the main wrestler. There's two other wrestlers that appear. One visibly on camera, the other one not. Um, but we have yeah the Undertaker, Mark Calloway. He was cast in this and then became the Undertaker shortly after. Uh, which is weird, but I mean, I guess Vince McMahon had some sort of uh, role in the casting process or okay. something. Oh, so, like, okay. he knew he was going to be like a WWF stable member. Um, he, Mark Calloway, was with WCW prior to this. Um, he debuted with the WWF in 1990, 
This released in 1991, late 1991. Um, and so by the time this movie released, he had shown up as Undertaker on television and events and whatnot. And it's possible he even had a WWF title by this time, because I was looking and he... The Undertaker won his first WWF world title in 1991 by beating Hulk Hogan in the mm-hmm. Survivor Series. So I didn't look to see when the Survivor Series aired compared to this movie. But, yeah, long story short, when he was filmed in this, he was not yet Undertaker. Um, but he was basically right around this time. Uh, the other wrestler that appears in this movie to some degree is Ed Leslie, who's also known as Brutus the Barber Beefcake. He is a stuntman, so he's not um, seen, or he's not supposed to be seen facially, but you know, mm. he's rolling around or jumping or something in there. So, there are two other wrestlers in there besides Hulk Hogan. Anyway, <laughs> a little tangent, brief pause on the credits before we get into the meat of the story, I guess. Mm. <laughs> um, this starts very, very slowly. Like, it starts with an action sequence. But it's a very slow action sequence. Like he's, you have Hulk Hogan who's walking, meandering through the halls, randomly shooting bad guys here and there. Um, it's just like a little tiny jaunt. Like in, and the sets really, it does not start off well at all. Because the sets look worse than what we saw in like Terror Within practically. Um, yeah. A lot of the effects are kind of bad. Like, you see some space laser effects of the ships, and they look worse than Star Wars did in 1977. You know, much, much worse than what we saw, you know, 15 years ago in something like Star Wars. So, I mean, it's not a great introduction to the characters, and Hulk Hogan's performance early on is really, really bad. Um, and all you really hear is these one liners, like he's on an elevator, he's like going up or going down. You know, just stuff like that. Mm. So it's not a great introduction to the character in the story. But it at least lets you know he's supposed to be this badass. Was he just, like, protecting whoever his boss is? Um, who was killed by someone by the name Suter. General Suter. Yeah. Who has conquered four worlds so far. Um, and he then, has this guy I mean, named he's President a, Hashima. Yeah. Yeah, he's on a... Okay. Because I was like, what planet is he supposed to be on? I don't know. But I mean, They're I don't in know. space, right? I know so they're that. not even on a planet. <laughs> and I was like, what was his role? Is he just like the bodyguard of for that planet? I think he's basically just, you know, a vigilante or like a gun okay. for hire type okay, of person. Okay, so just like Star-Lord or something. I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, th- I just think it's really weird that, you know, he's supposed to be this badass, but he can't even, like, run or jog. He has to walk down the halls and, like, shoot. I think you because know? he has that, like, hardcore armor on, and it's probably, like, hard to run in. I don't know. That's not a very efficient for the type of work he's doing, if that's uh. the case. Um, so <laughs> it's really weird. But anyway, he gets the job done. He, he gets suitor, supposedly. He puts... One explosive device every, like, yard on the corridor. He has, like, 20 different explosive devices that he just puts on the hall as he's walking to his little escape pod. And he blows up the ship and um, runs away. 
Uh, then, but his ship but, gets damaged to some degree because yeah. he's told in the next scene that he needs to recharge for six weeks. Well, um, like his supervisor is like, like yeah, yeah, his supervisor is like, you seem stressed out. You should take a vacation. Right. And also because... Because he failed to save the president of whatever... Yeah, whatever is planet. ...of planet that they're on. Yeah, I don't know. They, <laughs> just, they don't get into that. I know. They don't get into a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, that fine, was just like a but... 10 to 15 minute scene. Yeah. And then he accidentally... Oh, because he gets kind of annoyed that he has to take a vacation and he slams his hands on the controls of his spaceship i guess and that breaks and it. that causes it to crash into earth oh yeah yeah okay and so um but he has to recharge it slowly to avoid like giving off if he charges it too fast then the signal will you know basically act as a beacon to yeah the enemies of the world who are trying to chase him down and yeah the bounty hunter like from... it'll send off some sort of sensor that the bounty hunters can find and so the ship will take six weeks to recharge at that pace and so he has to find a way to live on earth and sort of adapt and join society for a short period of time yeah (laughs) uh so while that's happening like while or shortly after we get the opening rap song if you remember that fun thing called it's a nice place to live but i wouldn't want to visit by J Rock and Hulk Hogan, <laughs> and it was. Uh, I, I think we'll have that on the website yeah. for you. I mean that and the end credit song. Oh yeah, the end credit song, which is called Ramsey, which I don't think Hulk Hogan was actively involved in, but I think they took sound clips, perhaps, of him. Yeah. Uh, that was done by the Next Big Thing, and it's basically like a B fifty twos rip off type of a style thing. Uh, but yeah, that opening rap song is funny yeah it's funny it's not (laughs) i'm trying to think like it's no uh, impact was like good and funny yeah this is just like funny yeah um and then it's no adam's groove or whatever the adam's family (laughs) no it's not very yeah not very lyrical i mean adam's groove was what nominated for worst song yeah that's what Uh, i'm saying this this is not that I think bad. it's a worse. I think it's a worse song. It oh, really? Have the appeal. I, I at think... least you know Adam's Groove had some creativity in the lyrics. You know they're trying to adapt this. This is basically just repeating the same words over and over. Oh again. yeah, I mean the and Hulk Hogan the... saying, "But I wouldn't want to visit." <laughs> like that, you know, that's the appeal of the song. The, is, you yeah, know, Hulk Hogan the... joining in on the chorus. <laughs> the last song is just like people screaming Ramsey every yes. five seconds. Yeah, that was like that movie Deadly Friend that we watched a couple of years ago. Or, just or like BB. But I don't know, that makes me laugh and I like it. I don't know, because it makes me laugh. Yeah, yeah, both of them will make you laugh if you're like us. Yeah, if you like uh, stupid things. And the other thing that will make you laugh is when he does crash, I'm sort of jumping up a little bit in the plot, um, when he is trying to find a place to, you know, live, he sees a flyer <laughs> for apartment for rent, with just an arrow pointing to the right. No price, no contact details, no, like, here's how many bedrooms or whatever, no address, it's just apartment for rent, arrow. Yeah. And he finds the place, no problem. I mean, does she put apartment for rent at, 
like a little sign in the front of their house to be like here's the apartment for rent i don't know it'll be you know it'd be interesting if they just walks up he walks you know chalk markings on the sidewalk or something he walks up a a very you know it's a rural street with a bunch of houses how does he know yeah houses that do not look like apartments and he's really not renting an apartment he's renting like a guest house or a shed that they've converted to a yeah thing i thought it was yeah it's either a shed or did they convert their garage into one or the other is what it is like a studio yeah. apartment it was it was christopher lloyd who i guess we should also mention is in the movie he's yeah. you know it's basically hulk hogan and christopher lloyd and it's, it's just them as like a buddy comedy um and, and uh, yeah it was his workshop it was his doc brown workshop basically <laughs> where he was like doing all kinds of gadgetry and stuff I mean, that's how he blows off steam, I guess, because he is also stressed out from his architect job. Yeah, he's highly underappreciated. His boss, Larry Miller, who we've seen in Unnecessary Roughness as the shitty dean, uh, now plays a shitty boss. Exact same character, just with more lines, basically. Yeah, he's um, playing the same person. Yeah, you know, that's he's good at that. Yeah. Um, He's supposed to ask his boss for a raise, and he can't bring up the courage to do it, and all this kind of stuff. And then by the time he gets back, because he's working in he's working in that shed in the morning mm-hmm. before he goes to work. Mm-hmm. Then his wife like puts a wrestling move on him, like one of the few like wrestling like he puts him in a stranglehold and is like you know saying like you're gonna ask your boss for a raise type of a thing, sort of yeah. like a a love like headlock mm-hmm. weird thing that they do. Um, like you are going to have the determination to ask for a raise and he doesn't and she takes it upon herself to you know that same day basically knowing that knowing that he would chicken out and converts that shed into an apartment while he's at work like how did you do that because that's like a that's like a several week yeah project full-on renovations in like less than eight hours yeah, so, I was like, how how did she do that? And plus, by the time he comes home, she's like, sexily waiting for yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, and then she gets herself all like sultry and stuff, which yeah. is also a weird thing to see in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I don't uh, know. Shelley Duvall played the wife. <laughs> yeah. uh, she had like two scenes, practically. Um, but yeah, so she, she does all this work, and, and then gets like, into like lingerie and stuff to like greet him at the door. Uh, I think to ease the blow of, like, him the fact that his shed his... is gone. Yeah, maybe. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the apartment, quote-unquote, that uh, Ramsey is there to rent. That's sort of the, the backup. There's one other little piece of setup that is worth mentioning just because it is another thing that does not make any sense to me whatsoever, and that's Christopher Lloyd's driving on the highway. Mm-hmm. It's him and about 12 cars total on this highway stretch with several lights. lights. Yeah. And they're all stopped at this same stoplight in the same order the two or three times that they show them going through this routine. And I don't know what the stoplight is there for because it looks like there's no crossway, but they're all just stopped at a stoplight. And then it seems like they're all racing to get to the next stoplight. I think they're racing to miss 
Because the next stoplight turns red, like, when you get to it. So I think they're kind of racing... To hope to not get caught to by To miss that, light. that second light. That's what I thought they were doing. It could be, but it's really not super clear. And it seems, like, yeah, like, they're all tightly packed, but it's just these grouping of 12 cars, and there's absolutely nobody behind them. So it's, like, really weird just from that optic standpoint. Right. And then what makes it really weird is, like, everyone's, like, trying to pass Christopher Lloyd's car. He's, you know, basically getting bullied in a sense in in the vehicle as well he's like you know treated like the runt of the litter um and people are like fast fiving is what we call it you know fast fast and the furious like driving all around him and stuff and and weaving and then at some point he just like stops and then goes in reverse (laughs) like he just gave up like why 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 are you not just like going forward or you know i don't know it just it nothing about that sequence makes sense other than to give him an opportunity to win in the end this weird petty race thing in the last sequence. I don't know. If someone can explain to me, like, why are they going backwards? Why is he going backwards in an empty highway? And I don't think he's reached the light yet. So it's not like he's, like, halfway through the intersection. He's like, oh, now I gotta wait. I don't think that's how it's working, but maybe it is. They don't show it very well. It's very weird. Anyway. Um, Hope Hogan's there. Yeah. How, I mean, how does he have money <laughs> to rent this apartment? I don't know. Yeah, they don't explain that part at all. Um, he obviously doesn't have credentials of any kind. He doesn't have... You know, a driver's license. Or I mean, yeah, he's or, there, and you he's know, he's there he has, in like his warrior suit, right? For, and to start, and then he Christopher Lloyd he is like, who the hell is this guy? A, a dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have dinner with him, and he um, he kind of wins over the kids first, and then he's he helps out with Jenny, who is Shelley Duvall. And they're like, okay, you can live there. But they don't really show him living there. because. And then I feel like he was, quote, living there for like a week. I don't know how long it actually ends up being. <laughs> things move very fast yeah, once things, he does appear. Once he's there, it's like, it's always him just like walking around the town. Like he, you don't really, that was like the only time you really see him inside a house or well, they, whatever. They, I mean, he has that room, right? They show the apartment that's been converted and you see him near the bed and like putting his weapon under the bed right. and stuff like that. But it's, yeah, very little. It's mostly like Christopher Lloyd's character snooping around the apartment. He's mostly just checking on his ship or going back and forth. Right. I mean, he follows him to where Shep's ship is. Which is that like an abandoned roller rink or something like that? Or maybe a dance club? I think it's a roller rink. Yeah, I think it's a roller rink. They don't show um, the inside very well. Mm -hmm. But there's a scene where he turns the power on and it's like a song. And I think you see like a poster in the background saying it's, you know, roller skating, free skate or something like that. Yeah. Um, But that's where his ship is housed. And there's, you know, traceable weapons in there. And that's, I mean, a lot of stuff in this movie doesn't make sense. I mean, yeah. You know, like when Christopher Lloyd finds the weapon underneath the bed, 
and he decides to shoot it indoors. Like, you see something that clearly looks like a gun. It's right. like this laser and thing that gonna... ends up, like, going through the wall and, like, burning his like neighbor's, like, um, Yeah, their, their hot fancy, rod car. Yeah, hot rod car. And, uh, you know, it's a gun. Don't shoot it. Don't shoot it indoors. I don't know. It, it's just weird. Like, it, it's meant to be funny because it's destroying that guy's property. And he doesn't get along with the neighbor with the, the stock car. And, you know, there's several examples of Christopher Lloyd's character getting taken advantage of. The one is that his driveway gets blocked by this guy who's fixing up his dragsters. Um, and then we talked about the highway scene and stuff like that and the boss. And so, obviously, Hulk is going to help him out with, or Sh- Shep. Ramsey um, is going to help him out with like all of that stuff at some point. Um, there's like a hot rod car that goes barreling through the neighborhood every day, I guess, at the same right. time. He he fixes, he's fixing like four to five cars in his driveway and on the streets. Yeah, and he just blocks the driveway. And he blocks the driveway just mostly for... as like a joke, I think. Yeah, I think he just wants to piss off Christopher or Charlie, I should say. Oh yeah, Charlie. Like every like <laughs> Christopher every... Lloyd. Whatever. Yeah. But uh yeah, so every time Charlie comes home from work, he just sees their the neighbor with all of his friends, I guess, fixing these cars and all the cars are like in the way of his house and his driveway and he He's like, he, you know, he'll honk at them, and they're like, whatever, just park over there. And but he does, like, he doesn't, like, yeah, he doesn't really... want the confrontation. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Especially with someone who's your neighbor, you have to see every single day. Right, it's complications, those types of things. Shep just, you know, he starts helping people around. He, it's like you, he, you're seeing him walking around the neighborhood, and he's helping people out. Yeah. Sometimes like at their kids. request, sometimes not. Yeah. Right. So I mean, like at one point, the reason he has normal clothes instead of his warrior suit is that he sees a dog in a hot car with the windows rolled up, and this guy's like eating dinner or eating lunch. Um, you know, this bulky dude is eating lunch while the dog's like watching and barking and whatnot. And in this Shep, hot car. Yeah, yeah, helps them change places basically. Right, and then you see this dog <laughs> eating spaghetti. Dog. <laughs> yeah. Sitting at a fancy table. And the eating. owner is like calling for the dog to help him. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, like, like, how that's is not, that's not going to happen ever? No. So, I mean, there's funny stuff like that. And then there's also encounters with like the mime where he's I mean, misinterpreting, you yeah. know, human nature. And he's like, oh, you must be in this force field. Let me get you out. And he like punches the mime on accident. Right. I mean, that whole thing with the mime makes me laugh. But then. Yeah. I was thinking, like, why is the mime doing his mime stuff, like, in a back alley? Yeah, in the middle of the night. Because he's always in the middle of the night, like, in the back of some restaurant or store. It's, yeah, some seedy seat. Yeah. Seedy street in Los Angeles somewhere. And I'm like, wouldn't you want to be, like, if you want to get paid or get some tips, why wouldn't, why are you there? Right. Doing your, your miming. <laughs> Yeah, like, don't be in a back alley in the middle of the night doing miming. You should be somewhere um, visible. But it makes for a fun sequence. I mean, yeah. And this movie does have quite a lot of fun sequences. It's just, you know, leading up to that, it's a lot of 
boring buildup and like situational things that you know are going to play out a certain way and you're just kind of waiting for them to pay off and that's what the first you know quarter to a half of the movie is is like oh yeah oh those cars are being blocked in the driveway and oh his boss doesn't appreciate him and this is happening and this is happening so of course hulk is going to come through and basically save the day in all these five six different ways so it's a little (laughs) annoying getting there because it's so obvious but once it starts happening and like you get past those sequences and deal with stuff like the mime that's when it gets more fun um or like when he goes to the arcade you know he just like stumbles into the kid's arcade and you know the kid is playing uh, Afterburner, um, which is not a space game, but he treats it like a space game with dragons and stuff, or Dragos, or anything. Yeah. He says, it's like, you gotta do this thing and this thing, and the kid's and the like, kid's like I already and did. And, and he's like, well, what about this? And he's like, it's too hard. I don't know. And yeah. then he just takes over and wins the game. Yeah. <laughs> the kids are like, yeah, you did it. You won the game. He's like, what game? Yeah. Like, he thought it was a real thing I don't know. <laughs> a real interstellar th- fight so there's uh, there's a lot of silly fun like that and that's where yeah. this movie really starts to shine or like when they come across like the skateboarding kids and he trips and falls over the skateboard and so <laughs> yeah. he flings it into space because he's frustrated with I mean it and yeah and like then that. I mean the funny thing is when they do show the bounty hunters looking for him you see the skateboard flying spinning around in space yeah. so I it's mean it's a nice there's... little callback yeah um but there's also like silly stuff that doesn't work quite as well because there is um so Christopher Lloyd finds some of the weapons and stuff and he saves this one from being attacked or mugged um nearby by using ramsey's suit and weaponry and the two thugs end up using the this like freeze ray gun uh to start robbing a bank mm-hmm. at some point and so they get into the bank and like everyone's in there frozen you know, yeah. all the customers and the guards, which is, you know, a good gag and whatnot. But then, like, the music kind of ruins it because it goes over the top and starts playing, like, jingle bells and things like that. In the yeah, because, I mean... A little obnoxious. Because it's wintery in there. Yeah, because everyone's frozen. I so know. it's, like, Christmas time inside the I bank. mean, one of my favorite things is, like, a lady holding a dog, and you can tell that it's just, like, a stuffed yeah, yeah, obviously, because they have to like hold completely still. I know. I just naturally, I, so you just she just has two very obviously frosted funny. stuffed dogs in her hands. So that's like a sequence where yeah, you know, Ramsey becomes the hero again. But that's when the bounty hunters finally show up because this weapon has been basically created a beacon um, to help the bounty hunters. Yeah, one of find which them. is Undertaker guy. Uh, find him and, and uh, that's when the big brawls start to happen potentially mm-hmm. um, meanwhile there's like this subplot with again the, the job and the boss uh, Larry Miller who's trying to court these Japanese businessmen once right. again in 1991 here we are with Japanese this businessmen this is like maybe the third movie that I can think of that we've seen where it's like someone trying to court Japanese businessmen yes for something yes and somewhat making fun of their culture in the process yes 
I don't think it was too terrible. I think in this one it was more it was showing more, the ignorance of the American, which yeah, was fine. Yeah, them saying something in Japanese and then the interpreter having... I mean, because the Japanese boss or the guy that he's mostly talking to is like, I hate this guy or whatever. And yeah. he says in Japanese, like, I just, I don't really like this guy. But then the interpreter has to say, oh, he's very pleased to meet you. And then the Japanese guy says in Japanese, like, you coward. Yeah. <laughs> like, why didn't you just say... <laughs> just tell him the truth. Just tell him what I really said. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's it's really interesting to see the, the themes and the threads and stuff that may not happen in current movies <laughs> that yeah. were happening in 1991, like the, the trope of the Japanese businessman. Um, so, yeah. And, and so Charlie, Christopher Lloyd's character, is supposed to be providing the boss with some sort like of blueprints for this building that they're going to do. And he's yeah. like trying to hold them over or whatever. There's like this big party and they both Shep and Charlie sort of crash it. And um, yeah, because the, the goons uh, come and crash it too. And so there's like a big old struggle in the building and whatnot. Because I guess his ship requires like some rare crystals and the closest samples to that are found in Larry or Adrian's Larry Miller's character's office. Yeah, so the boss has what... a bunch of awards that are made out of simian crystal, which right. I, did, I didn't look up to see if that's a real thing. I like all of his have, awards, guess, but... he's won for like architecture, like art, vandalay, whatever architecture stuff. Yeah. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, you know. At some point, he's like, well, if you know how I can find X number of pounds of simian crystals. And he's like, I do, actually. And so, they, yeah, they go and it becomes a big, weird thing. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a decent fight sequence, I guess. Or decent enough. It's no diehard in terms of office building fights. Yeah, it was like a very... But it's better than the original fight yeah. scenes from the beginning of the movie. Fewer laser shots but you know still decent simian crystals do exist okay well that's what the awards are made out of and that's what is meant to power his ship to a point where he can get out of there and then we get to okay the other thing we didn't really mention is that the bounty hunters don't talk at all um and then (laughs) (laughs) except for one line and i forget what he says but he his voice is like a little kid. Like, oh, you know, yeah. Like very, very helium-like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was a nice little twist. I mean, they, they throw these weird little twists at you every once in a while um, that catch you off guard in such a way. It's like, oh, that's charming. That's a fun little joke or gag. And, but yeah, they get the crystals or whatever, and they go back to the, the roller rink, and turns out the general suitor is not dead after all. Right. He found his way. And, and he turns into, like, this creature from the Black Lagoon type thing. Yeah, like a predator lizard-looking yeah. thing. It's kind of creepy in a way. Yeah. It's, like, surprisingly grotesque I mean, for a kid's that, movie. I mean, that was scarier than, like, the terror within monsters. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, whatever budget they used just for that yeah. one guy. Yeah. And then they use the same technique as Terra within and that he gets electrocuted. Yeah. Or double impact, if we want to go back to double impact. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the same type of thing. Um, 
and, and there's a nut grab in this, sort of like, a, you know, the nut punch and double impact. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, surprisingly, with all the wrestlers and even, you know, having Mark Calloway in there as well, it there aren't a whole, and with Hulk Hogan being the lead and known for wrestling, there aren't a whole lot of wrestling moves that are done throughout this movie. It's not about that. It's just, or even, there aren't a whole lot of wrestling references either. At one point he says... What is this, a tag team? Mm-hmm. Where there's two bounty hunters that, yeah. like, are... Um, one of them falls down the elevator, and then the other one comes up from the elevator, and, like, you know, it's a quick succession, just by happenstance, and he's like, what is this, a tag team? Um, but, yeah, it's not... The, the references are not overt, and they're not constantly beating you over the head, which is much appreciated, really. But I do wish the action was a little bit more I don't know special more action-y yeah, yeah I don't know there was yeah action-y. it you know had a little bit more polish to it better choreography because there's not much that's happening except for you know easily dodgeable punches here and there uh, I mean this is by and large a kid's movie I think yeah. you know this is basically what you would see on something like the Disney Channel um if they were making original movies at this time. I don't know. This might be a little too much for Disney. I have no idea. I mean, it just, it gives that vibe like off of, to me just because it... Disney movie. <laughs> just because the sets look so bad uh, and some of the action is very hampered and the jokes are sort of silly and wacky and stuff. I think what I means, you know, the reason it would not be a Disney movie is one, probably the monster, the predator, lizard, yeah. um, and two... The kids, again, they appear for, like, a couple gags, and that's about it. Like, the the kids that have, you know, the the skateboard kid has more lines than the actual children of Shelley Duvall and Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, I mean, those kids, I don't even remember them doing anything besides in the beginning of the movie. (laughs) Being held up. (laughs) Yeah, uh, being held up. Kind of like the same in Mr. Nanny. Doesn't he hold the kids up the same way? Kind of like just by like one arm and one leg type of thing. And they're, I don't know. It could be. But, and then just them having that dinner with him. And then that was it. That was it. You don't see the kids after that dinner scene. So that very first scene where they meet him, you don't. I don't I mean, you see them at the them. end, they're saying goodbye. Oh, okay. But I mean, other, again, like... They... But you don't see him interact with them after that dinner, I guess. Yeah, it's not like, I don't know, like let's him... say, like, what about Bob? Yeah, where, where he's, like... The kids are central to yeah, interacting with the The kids are character. not befriending him, or he's not, you know, befriending them, or whatever. He's more, like, friendly to, like, the neighborhood kids, like the skateboard kids, or, like, that girl who lost... Or cat in the tree right like he's interacting with neighborhood kids more than the kids that's like in the house that he's like living sort of living with i guess yeah and that's kind of weird you think that you know maybe he would be helping with any sort of bullying that the kids right. are going through or if there's like, like a boyfriend who's being mean to the girl or something like he's helping like, more with that family since he's staying with that family yeah but he's he's really not he, you know he's mostly just helping charlie 
Just helping like Charlie and I'm just walking back and forth between the house and his ship to check on his ship. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it's kind of like a... with the mind here and yeah. there. Yeah, it's kind of like a boring thing. If you think about it, it's like him walking back and forth to his ship, checking on it, and then yeah. sort of helping neighborhood kids. Just in, like, whatever shenanigans will happen along the way. Yeah. Is what happens. Um, so it's weird. But, it, I don't know, it does sort of give off, like, an early Disney movie vibe to me. Just because of that type of a... A thing, and also the low, what looks like a low budget, but you said like the budget was like eleven million dollars. Is what uh, you looked I mean, up, which is yeah. insane to me. It did not make that much back. It was a flop. Uh, made about seven ish in the box office, all told. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> but I mean, it has like a cult. You know, it, it's known. You know, yeah. people know what this movie is more than. You know, some of the hundred plus other movies released in 1991 that performed better in the box office. Um, so, anyway, everything works out in the end. And somehow he has a new ship because his ship gets destroyed in the fight with Yeah, I mean, Suter. does he need more crystals to make them? Well, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the unfortunate part, I guess. Is like the crystals ended up being worthless because his ship got destroyed. Yeah, I was like, how did... Blew up. And then all of a sudden he has a new ship. So they sort of gloss over and they don't show him contacting anybody to like get his transport back home. Right. But now he has it on the roof of this random building, which I don't know if that's supposed to be the architect building that he right. worked yeah, at or no what. But... And then he leaves with the uh, the secretary. Yep. Who we didn't talk about at all. Who's, I mean, a decent character. She's like... Um, sort of like a tough, commandeering... Overly protective of the boss, weirdly. Sort of. of But she's also kind of, like, encouraging Charlie. Yeah. She's, like, on everybody's side. Yeah. Except for when they try to steal the crystals, then she points a gun at them, which is weird. She's, like, what do you... She's, like, kind of just protecting her boss's um, office. Yeah. (laughs) Like, what are you going to do in there? Type of thing. So it's an odd character, but an interesting one. Uh, Played by Joanne Deering, who's mostly... She was a stand-up comedian. Um... She was in one episode of Step by Step. Okay. So, um, and then yeah, that's about it. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, at the very of... yeah, at the very very end, Charlie still has one of Shep's guns because he goes back to that annoying highway and he shoots the traffic lights and everyone yeah. in those cars cheer. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's the very very end. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> And, yeah, like, he's able to... And his car is all beat up from all the action throughout the movie. And, right, I mean, know, it's the, missing a door. It's missing he's a still door driving around in it. replaces it. And, like, at one point he has to give it to a valet, and the valet does not care at yeah, all. Yeah, he's just like, oh, door. okay. He, like, he doesn't react to the door being missing at all. He's just like, oh, okay, and starts the car and drives off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's just, like, a lot of weird little things that sort of add up to making it a much more fun movie than it probably has a right to be. Yeah. I don't know. But there's a lot of stuff that just does not make sense. And it's not in necessarily a fun way. Like the car stuff and the highway stuff, it just doesn't make sense. But then you have, you know, his other neighbor on the other side, you have the the hot rod builders. And then on the other side, you have this World War II colonel. Right. Who's on an abandoned Jeep with no wheels on the front lawn drinking and like giving him sass. Like giving him shit like every day. 
that was played. I mean, I, I don't just... know if that's just a reason to get Jack Elam on the movie because <laughs> Jack Elam plays Colonel Dustin Dusty McCowell, and there's like two two scenes with him basically. Pretty much. Uh, but he's he's a well known. I mean, it's just showing Western like I don't know if it's day. just like a jab to like suburban living where you have like really eccentric neighbors. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Living is like, on top of you. And if you look like, at it from Hulk Hogan's perspective, it's like this world is just full of crazy people. This is like the weirdest assortment of characters. Yeah. That's what Earth is. And he's getting, you know, he's getting the assortment. He's getting like the variety chocolate box here. Yeah. I think that might be part of what they're going for. Um, and it works sometimes and it works not so well other times. But I think it works more than it doesn't at the end of the day. I was yeah. surprised at how much I liked this. I mean, I was laughing. Yeah. <laughs> and I, mean, I was like, not bored. Yeah, I mean, like, the mime stuff happened multiple times. And it was, and still, it was like, making me laugh each time. Each time. <laughs> you know, the talking car alarm thing, pleading for its life was cool. The, yeah. The, you know, the arcade scene was good. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's surprising that this worked the way it did. <laughs> I don't know if we have much else to, to say here on the plot, but that's that's the long and short of Suburban Commando is that it's really stupid, goofy fun. Yeah. Um, so why don't we go ahead and we can talk really quickly about some of the cast and cameos that we haven't mentioned yet. I think it's probably not worth mentioning Christopher Lloyd too much. We already know who he is. I would hope most people know who he is. And we're going to see him again in The Addams Family. Uh, but at this point, you know, he's won a couple Emmys for Taxi and Road to Avonlea. Um, Hulk Hogan, before this, he had been in some movies. Uh, Gremlins 2, he had a cameo, which is probably where I, you know, like, that was my mm. f- previous film knowledge. Uh, Rocky 3, No Holds Barred. And then later he would do Mr. Nanny, Thunder in Paradise, and Three Ninjas, High Noon at Mega Mountain. Um... Burt Kennedy was the director of this one. This is his last feature. He had done stuff like The Trouble with Spies, Simon and Simon, the TV show, uh, Support Your Local Sheriff, which also had Jack Elam, uh, The Train Robbers and The Rounders. Um, and he also wrote a couple movies like The Rounders and several other westerns. Frank A. Capello, this was his debut in terms of writing. Uh, he went on to do things like No Way Back and also Constantine, that uh, Keanu Reeves dc comic adaptation movie from like 2005 uh shelly duvall was barely in this movie really i mean she had a couple scenes here and there but she didn't have much purpose i don't know other than to be the Just person be the who the apartment. yeah <laughs> there was no major conflict that hulk had to resolve for her right so you know she was very self-sufficient um she's an emmy nominee for her tall tale and legends uh children's series as well as Shelley Duvall's bedtime stories. Uh, she's probably most known for The Shining, which she actually got a Razzie nomination for. I was surprised what? to see that. Um, and also she works with Robert Altman. After being like mentally and like almost physically abused. Yeah. For doing <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's her reward for going through that wow. torment on set by Stanley Kubrick is to have a, a Razzie nomination. Uh, when I don't think her performance was bad at all yeah. in that movie. Um, 
But uh, she had a BAFTA nomination and a Cannes Award win for her role in Three Women. She's been in other Altman movies like Brewster McCloud, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Nashville, and Popeye, of course, as well. People forget that's an Altman movie, but it is. Um, William Ball, who played General Souter, which is a weird choice for a bad guy, because he's, he's an older guy. It's like, um, we haven't gotten to Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey yet. But it's the same type of vibe that I get from the bad guy in Bogus Journey, where it's like an older, older dude with like an overcoat, and that equals a villain. Mm. You know? Uh, but that's what we get from William Ball. He died in uh, July of 1991, so this was basically his last movie role. I think there was one that released after this. He was mostly known as a Broadway director. He's nominated for Tonys for that. He founded the American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco. And this is only one of four acting credits on IMDb for him. Wow. Uh, the first since 1973. So why he came back to act in yeah, this why specifically? Do this? I mean, he maybe he was really good friends with Burt Kennedy or something like that? The director? Mm. That's the only thing I can think of. It's, like, it's a very weird choice. Um, we already talked about Jack Elam. Uh, look him up if you don't know who he is. He's very, very uh, famous face really like his bulging eyes and his left one doesn't move and so he gets you know sort of like a peter Lorre type of a, a vibe he plays a lot of villains and crazy characters and westerns and stuff like that um and then otherwise i mean i think the biggest person to mention that we haven't so far is that little girl with her cat stuck in the tree that hulk hogan tries to save here mm -hmm. and there was played by elizabeth moss mm -hmm. in one of her early roles not her first i don't think but one of her early ones um She's an Emmy nominee and winner for The Handmaid's Tale, nominated for Mad Men and Top of the Lake. She was also in the movie Us. She's been in The West Wing, uh, and probably the most recent notable one is the Invisible Man movie. Um, I also will briefly mention that, that skateboard kid, Malachi mm -hmm. um, Pearson is his name. Uh, he was the voice of Casper in 1995 through 1998. So, like, you know, the so... Christine Casper yeah. movie and all the subsequent like animated stuff that happened with that character. So Devin that Sawa didn't do his own Casper voice. This is this says that he was Casper. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's why wouldn't he do his own Casper voice? I don't know. All I mean, right. Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. No, I don't. I mean, we'll say on the website. And we'll say it probably next I'm episode not, and everything. I'm just like wondering why, because like maybe his. Malachi's voice was like more childlike. It could be. I haven't seen that movie since I was like a teen, so yeah. I really don't know. Yeah, I mean, I do have some information on the two kids who were, you know, like the two kids of Shelley Duvall and Christopher Lloyd, but they didn't have a whole lot of roles. Like Laura Mooney, who played Teresa, was Kelly's sister on an episode of Saved by the Bell, where she had a big crush on Zach. Um, she was also on the Potato Head Kids. Michael Faustino played Mark. He was... Uh, is he related to David? He is the brother okay. of David Faustino. He's been on a couple episodes of Married with Children. And he was also in Blank Check as the brother of the guy who... You know, the little kid who got the Blank Check. Okay. So, again, not no major, major roles from either of them. Uh, so, that's what we got for cast and crew. Um, I will say that there were no awards... To speak of with this can't say that's too surprising though 
Not even an MTV Movie Award for Hulk Hogan. Who... No, he's not in any um, like montages or anything like that. Not what like how they had yeah, the like pig best from pig or something. <laughs> yeah. Best animals like the dog eating the spaghetti or whatever it was. No, nothing like that, unfortunately. Oh, I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about. We watched this on DVD. Oh, yeah, we did. So, yeah, normally we try to do coming attractions if there's any sort of trailers and whatnot. There were not. But there was a game. There was the trailer for the movie, but no other movies to speak of that we, you know, no coming attractions. But there was a game on the DVD called... Like oh Pick the Flick or something I like that? I think it's called Pick the Flick. And it's kind of like a seen it type game or like a you don't know Jack where it's just they show a scene of a... You have like movie. 10 different yeah. choices of new line release yeah, movies. Yeah, 10 different random new side. line movies. And, and then they show you a still from a movie and you have to pick which movie it's from. Yeah, and we got 8 out of 10, but then we get this like serious face. <laughs> yeah, we got this like... Wah wah face and it's like, you did 8 out of 10. It's like, that's okay, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the ones we got wrong because we did the game before we saw the movie... Suburban Commando was one that we guessed wrong and we thought it was Mr. Nanny. Well, because I was, it was like... was like the kids with the skateboards lined up. Well, I thought it was like, three oh, ninjas. Well, that's a bunch of kids. That was probably Mr. I think I, I think we inputted Mr. Nanny. But either yeah, way, we were both wrong. I know. But and, but then I was thinking, oh, maybe it was... Sub- like, after we were done with that, I was like, oh, it must have been Suburban yeah. Commando. <laughs> but yeah. there was, like, some of the choices was... uh, It was... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1, One 2, two and 3, three. <laughs> yeah. and then each still was just like it's just the... a group of the turtles together and we kind of had to guess yeah. like based off of like how great their costumes were or yeah. whatever. <laughs> like oh that looks like it might be ancient Japan so that's probably three. This one yeah the costumes look a little bit better in this one so it's probably two. And we got it and right. We got it right. <laughs> Like, oh, but he's holding a, a ceiling fan, which might have been from the apartment fight in the first one. Mm. Yeah. And some of the scenes repeated. So, yeah, I think it's like just a random selection of images, and then you have to pick which ones. But it was an interesting experience. It's fun. I miss, I miss those types of things. You don't get yeah. that type of stuff with streaming. Yeah. Uh, other pop culture we can talk about with, in regards to this movie is that it does have a video game as well. Oh, okay. So it's the second one in a row now. So we got American Tale, which had the SNES, and then this one had a computer game. So it was like on Amiga um, computers. So it wasn't on home consoles at all, but it, there was some sort of an action platformer where you play like this cartoony looking Hulk Hogan guy. The best comparison I can give you is if you ever watch Clarissa Explains It All, mm-hmm. the computer games that she made with like Ferguson, with, like the big head and the little body. That's what Hulk Hogan looks like in this, basically. <laughs> um, we'll have a video of it up on the website, uh, and you run around, and they do, yeah, they basically try to adapt the movie to some degree. He starts out on the ship, and then he goes to the real world, and then he has the big old fight against the lizard uh, lizard suitor at the end. So, so I mean, when it comes to TV and music, a lot of it's the same, because this is maybe two to three weeks before uh, Sam and Berries, and... But I could do the uh, top five songs for the week as of, so this movie was released October 4th, mm-hmm. 1991. So the week of October 5th, 1991, the top five songs. The first one is 
Good Vibrations by Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Uh, number two is I Adore Me More by Color Me Bad. Number three is Emotions by Mariah Carey. Number four is Do Anything, Natural Selection. And then number five is Love of a Lifetime, Firehouse, which a lot of these are repeats. Yeah, I don't remember if we talked about Firehouse, though, so that's probably a new one, the yeah. new one to be mentioned. Yeah, that could be new, because this has been, this is, well, it's been on the charts for, it, it came on the charts like 15, 15 weeks, and it's been at like number five for the past 15 weeks. Okay, but we haven't always done right. top five for some of these episodes, and we talk right, about the yeah. timeline a lot, so. And then... Uh, just looking at the, <laughs> I was looking at other stuff on this list. Like, is there any new releases or anything yeah, like that? Like, is Whitney Houston somewhere on this list? I mean, this I know that Whitney Houston is not going to be on this. Star Spangled Banner Watch is. It's not in October. Not happening in October. But um, I saw this song and I didn't even know that this was a song. <laughs> <laughs> until like in five to ten minutes before we recorded but number 91 this is new on the charts is crash test dummies superman song and i saw that and i was like i didn't know crash test dummies was around in 1991 because i mean the only song i know is their one hit yeah the mm-mm. yeah and that's from was 1992. That it was 93. Oh, 93, okay. And that's like the only song that they've had that has been so on the charts <laughs> that look, I know of. Was that Superman song also on their, that same album that, in 1993? No. They didn't this like is, uh, no. Because then I looked up the song and I'm like, what? Because I was listening to it. I'm like, they, these lyrics are awful. <laughs> But, I mean, if you listen to the lyrics of, like, the mmm song, I mean, that's kind of dumb, that's, too. Yeah. <laughs> that's a song that's kind of so obnoxious you can't even listen to the Weird Al parody because it just reminds you too much of it. Yeah, <laughs> but then I, I looked at, I didn't, okay, so I looked up this song, and then I didn't know this band was from Canada. I didn't know they were I from. I did know that. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> And um, I guess this song, the Superman song, became a 1991 hit first in Canada and somehow became a hit here in the U.S. I've never heard of this song until, like, honestly, a couple hours ago. And then it was on their first album. Their first album was in 1991. So it's not on the same album as the other song. I just, I guess maybe I'm probably getting confused with like Spin Doctors who also did like Superman related songs. Oh, oh, yeah. And, which, you know, wasn't necessarily 1991, but you know. Yeah, they I thought became... I remembered seeing Superman on, because I did have that Crash Dummies tape. I'm sure just like everybody in the world somehow acquired it at some point. Right? I but did not because. I don't know if I, I bought it, but I. It, did not care. It was in my possession at some point. So, and I thought I remember <laughs> I've never heard Superman. any other song of theirs. I don't know if I ever have listened to that tape. I might have. But Maybe it was like one I don't of those know. Columbia House ten for oh. a penny things. I'm like, all right. I, I, I would have been sure. like, I I'll use it as like. I'll see if any other other songs are good. And <laughs> no, they're not. All right. 
Yeah, I would listen just out of, like, curiosity, <laughs> but then that would just be thrown in the trash <laughs> or something. Like, okay, 10 seconds. Or okay. you just, like, resell it at disc replay and you get your penny back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's like nine free CDs at this point. Right. <laughs> or cassette tapes for me. So, yeah, that that was the uh, music-wise. We'll have that on the website, too, by yeah, the way. Yeah, so if you, Unfortunately. If you want to hear, you hear how, how much of a great gent Clark Kent was. Yes. Then uh, you'll, you can, we'll link to it. Right. And then TV-wise, there was nothing really new. It was a typical TGIF lineup. So I looked up, you know, what was on SNL. So there was an episode, October 5th, 1991. It was hosted by Jeff Daniels and the musical guests, which we did not see, unfortunately, was Color Me Bad. Which yeah, Peacock I, never has those. Which, I mean, I, th- I don't think they cut any of the skits because it was a full hour. Yeah, I don't think they... Uh, this is probably the most complete one that we've seen. It just didn't have... Maybe they cut the a musical. little bit on a weekend update, but as, if they did, I didn't notice it. And yeah, they didn't have the, the musical guests performance. Which, I mean, that sucks because, I mean, I... Color Me Bad, to me, I still like them. Okay. <laughs> and then I went on a tiny rabbit hole, and I kind of want to do, like, a behind do, the music. You could do a bonus episode on Color Me Bad? No, I don't know. Right. I, I just went, maybe, I don't know, because then I saw, like, an episode of, they were on a Dr. Phil episode together. I was like, oh, this is good. <laughs> I don't know. You should, you should do a bonus episode, Color Me Surprised, the story of Color <laughs> right. Me Bad. Uh, maybe, I don't know, like, where, the, I, like, I just like, I like where are they now stuff. That's why I was like, I want to behind the music of Color Me Bad. I know they did, they have not done this, but I know that, Behind the music is like renewed. Yeah, it's back on Paramount Plus. We Which I'm, curi- I'm curious. I'm yeah, curious. Like what? Because I mean, I think yeah, that's those like my calling is just finding out about bands <laughs> yeah. that were good thirty years ago, and then finding go. out where they are now. But um, this also this episode was the first appearance of the Chris Farley show, so we watched oh, okay. the first one. And. I'll, the episode, the entire episode was good, really surprisingly good. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I, I feel like it. I've seen this when I was young because yeah, I remember I a lot of these it. skits. It was weird that Jeff Daniels was there as the host because what was he promoting? Was it? It was for the butcher's wife. Was he really promoting the butcher's wife? Because that's what he mentioned I mean, in the he Chris Farley show. show. But was that the reason he was there? It just yeah, seems the butcher. I that guess that would be the reason. Yeah, the butcher's wife was released like two weeks after this, so I'm assuming okay. it's the butcher's wife. Which is okay. weird. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, I was thinking like you know, is, they, uh, is this the reason why he got like? dumb and dumber because he's like really good at comedy and he's on he's only done like you know serious movies it's possible prior to dumb and dumber and, and there's that one there's that one sketch where he does like the fake you know where he's in the novelty gag yeah factory and he does like the the dumb and dumber laugh right where he's thing. like slapping yeah. his knee and kind of wheezing yeah and i was like that's a dumb and dumber thing that's uh what i forget his character is he lloyd or is he the other one 
Lloyd, I think. Yeah, like that's, that's a Lloyd laugh if he's Lloyd. If he's not Lloyd, then he's... <laughs> but anyway, like the whole episode is pretty solid. And, and I think part of the reason why I didn't know why I mean, he, he did like a good it. Jay Leno, too. Oh, yeah, he did a really solid Jay Leno impression at the beginning where, he, you know, it's like Johnny Carson's farewell. And um, and then the, the monologue oh, he, is he's just Harry. Doing... He's Harry, not he's Lloyd. He's Harry, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, was I like, figured Lloyd was wrong. I'm like, I'm picturing him saying Lloyd. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, his monologue wasn't him talking about, hey, I got this new movie coming out or anything. It's like him coming out and then immediately running down the hall and being trained by Dana Carvey of how to do the monologue of like the different steps. Of, like, yeah, you know, yeah. Point at people, do the seal clap and, you know. Pull the fridge, you know, falling star point. Do your point. pigeon neck to the band to show your yeah. thumb <laughs> yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And like, I, I don't know, that's like one of the most memorable monologues to me personally is is that but you know he doesn't get a chance to say why he's there yeah (laughs) but yeah you have a a rich meister sketch in there too you have a simon who likes to do drawings sketch Mm -hmm. in there um and i I also remember as a kid that that prank thing scared me because at the end phil hartman gets replaced by that skeleton when the cigar explodes and so yeah like you know cutting back to seeing like a skeleton head was you know that's freaky to my paranoid self uh but yeah (laughs) <laughs> the Chris Farley sketches still, even though you know exactly how those I mean, they're still go, hilarious. Are still really funny. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, check out that episode. On um, Peacock. On it's Peacock. Season it's 17, episode 2. The one right after Michael Jordan hosted, which maybe we'll cover at some point because, you know. I mean, yeah, that's Just need an accompanying movie. Yep. Uh, is that it for pop culture then? Yep. Okay. So we'll go on to your rankings and ratings. On your one to five star scale, where would you put Suburban Commando? Um, I'm going to give this a two. So you get about somewhat middle of the road-ish. I mean, I don't hate it. Yeah. No, neither did I. I I was laughing more to this than... I enjoyed this more than like an American tale, to be honest. I did too. I really did. (laughs) Yeah, I, I was... I was not bored. I was... (laughs) laughing i was expecting to kind of hate it um and then like when the opening sequence stuff happened i'm like oh god this is super cheesy this is like you know terror within level of production and maybe that was intentional i don't know but it won me over as time went on like all the little gags and like the stupid little stuff that happens throughout this movie yeah i'm i'm giving it a two out of my zero of four star scale too so like it's a straight middle of the road thing because yeah it's not produced well, yeah. but it's like super entertaining and still like funny and charming in so many different ways. It's so weird. Um, so there we are. Every movie's worth watching once. Would you watch this again? Yeah. I would too. I'm surprised I'm saying that. But yeah, I would too. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm also curious about Mr. Nanny to see how that goes. Yeah, and compare. Know, yeah, and figure out, did I watch that as a kid as well? And <laughs> see if anything jogs the memory. Uh, but if you out there want to watch Suburban Commando as of this recording in November 2021, it's available as a digital rental, VHS, or DVD with that fun game. As always, check your local listings. As for us, you can listen to us on all your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. It really does help us out a lot. You can email us at 1991moviewrewind at gmail.com. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991MovieRewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. 
Next week, we're closing out our family month and we're gonna watch All I Want for Christmas. It's available as a digital rental on VHS or DVD. We'll see you then. Thanks.